It is so good to have you all back. Thank you. Thank you for blessing us. We are going to spend the majority of the fall journeying through the book of of Nehemiah. And so remember those Bibles that we pulled out? I'm going to invite you to, uh, we pulled out and dedicated at the beginning of the service, invite you to open them to, to Nehemiah. And remember, you can always bring your own Bible as well if you would like to do that. And the words will also be up on the screen. We are in a season as a church and really as a society as a whole where we're asking a lot of questions about what is next, about identity, about uh, returning to normal or about a, a new normal. What is next? We, we've experienced these moments before, but not quite like to the scale that, that we are experiencing right now after going through what we've, we've gone through over the last 18 months or two years or so. The truth is, there is a whole lot of unknown about what the post-pandemic world looks like whenever it comes. The stories of, of Nehemiah and Ezra, they, they tell of, of a similar type of, of search, of a similar type of what's next questioning. It takes place about 450 years before the birth of Jesus and right after Cyrus the Great and the Persians conquer Babylon, a small group of exiles that they return to Jerusalem and along with Ezra and Nehemiah, they're tasked with rebuilding, with restoring a way of life, with beginning anew. And there's this 140 year gap between the exile and the rebuild. The world looked different when they returned after exile. Everything that worked before wasn't going to work a generation or two later. They had to adjust. They had to reframe their expectations. They had to prepare to, to live in a new way and in a, a, an old place where they had been before. I, I was drawn to Nehemiah and Ezra's story specifically with the season that we are in right now in mind, because for them, it wasn't just about rebuilding the wall. It wasn't just about rebuilding the temple. It was about establishing a way of living, a way of life. In the same way, as we open the doors of our church, as we restore our courtyard, as we have programs and groups from, from our community begin to meet on our campus again, it's about remembering our purpose. While recognizing that the world around us looks totally different, totally different from how it looked two years ago. Whether we want to call it rebuilding or, or maybe reformation or anything else, we are in a season of reframing our identity to fit the world in which we live today. It's the same task that Nehemiah faced with his people, starting at the beginning of the book that bears his name. We read this. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year. While I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. 
The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then, even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants, your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is good to be back with you today after being gone for a couple of Sundays. Last weekend, I had the opportunity to worship at my parents' church. To, to worship with, with my parents, the church where, where I grew up, where Haley and I met in, in high school. And it's the first time I had been there on a Sunday morning for six or seven years. It turns out I'm kind of busy most Sundays of the year. And there were two things that stood out that were, were totally different from what I remembered. First, I was, I was amazed by how much had changed. The Sunday school rooms where we, we dropped our kids off, they looked nothing like what I remember as a kid. The, the courtyard was different. It turns out they had a, a courtyard project themselves. The carpets were different. The walls were different. The worship service itself was different. So so physically, the space looked different, but it didn't stop there. The people were different too. This is the church where I spent nearly 30 years of my life, the community that that pretty much raised me, and I I probably recognized 15 to 20% of the people who were there. I had to be introduced as Brian and Deanne's son, as the guy who used to lead worship for the contemporary worship service, or as a seminary student turned pastor who the church sent to Malawi. So much had changed. The place, the people, everything. It was the oddest, oddest feeling. To be an outsider in the place I considered my home for so long. About five minutes after the service began, one of my, my best friends, his name Brady, he, he walked in and, and he actually, the funny part is he's, he's from Ventura and now lives in San Diego. I, I was born and raised in San Diego and now I live up here, so we kind of swatch places. And, and, and he walks up behind my wife and I and he puts his hands around us and he says, well, 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 what do we have here? Brady didn't know we were in town and, 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 and he was welcoming us home. The first verses of Nehemiah, they introduce him in a similar way. 
a friend of Nehemiah's, returned from a trip to Judah and says, well, 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 things look different. Jerusalem doesn't look the way that our parents and our, our grandparents explained it. The, the wall is broken down. The gates, they were, they were set fire. Everything looks different. And the people who, who returned to Jerusalem before us, the exiles that went back, they're hurting. Nehemiah, you need to do something about this. And Nehemiah, he held this really unique position where he could, he could actually do something. He could actually do something about it. At the very end of what we just read, Nehemiah reminds us that he was a cupbearer to the king. Now, in, in Persian politics, the cupbearer was an important position. Some translations of, of Scripture refer to the cupbearer as, as the butler, but other Near Eastern literature, it reminds us that, that it was so much more than, than just the, the butler. On top of being the king's personal sommelier, someone in this role had to be trained for the etiquette of the high courts. They, they had to be trusted as a companion and a confidant for the king and the king's family. They saw the inside. They saw the inside. And they served as a buffer for anyone from the outside who wanted access to the inside. Before anyone could get to the king, they had to come through the cupbearer. Nehemiah landing a role like this under Persian rule leads us to believe that a generation or two after the exile, Israelites had done what Jeremiah prophesied about earlier. They had built houses they had settled down, they had planted gardens, they had, they had married people into the place where they had been led into exile. They had gone from Babylonian captivity to, to Persian rule and, and had learned how to fit and belong, even rising to prominent positions. Life probably wasn't all that bad for Nehemiah. In fact, I'm, I'm guessing it was fairly good. But he didn't take his position of privilege for granted. He takes a chance. He's vulnerable. And it all starts with his prayer. It all starts with his prayer. His prayer gives us an example of how we can approach the needs of our day. Whether those needs are, are personal, whether those needs are in our, our local community here, or, or whether those needs are, are global. On Friday afternoon, I was walking with our, our youngest daughter. She's, she's four years old. She goes to preschool here with, with Julianne. And, and we were walking to the car after her day had finished. We walked out the church office, through the narthex, out the doors that many of you came in, down the walkway, and we turned to go to the, the parking lot back here through the prayer garden. I was in a hurry, because dads are in a hurry, I guess. I was in a hurry and I'm talking to her, holding her bag and my bag, and I turn around and she's not next to me. Where'd Piper go? I had gotten just to the edge of the parking lot and I saw her walking in circles around the prayer labyrinth. And it hit me. It hit me. So often, I walk through life jumping from what is from one thing to the to the next, whatever that next thing is, without kind of just slowing down. All too often, we approach life the way that I walk to that car. We jump from one thing to the next. Nehemiah's prayer, Piper's walk last Friday, remind us to slow down, to, to take a breath, to slow down, 
and to turn to God in prayer. In Nehemiah's prayer, it gives us a fairly simple structure for approaching God with the needs of our day. He starts with a pretty straightforward invocation. He says, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant. He starts with attributes of God that remind those listening that God is both all-powerful, involved in the, the big picture, and incredibly personal, faithful to those who he made a covenant with. Every Sunday when we, we start our worship service, we, we start it with something similar to how we started today with that litany for a new year. With a call to worship, it could be a choral call to worship, it could be a, a, a response call to worship, it could be a litany, it could be an opening prayer. But when we do that, we, we are essentially doing a prayer of invocation with one another. Now, a prayer of invocation isn't just about invoking God's presence because God needs to be invited to be in the sanctuary. God's already here. It's not like we can say the magic words and all of a sudden God shows up. God is already here. A prayer of invocation is about us stepping into God's presence ourselves. It's setting the tone for the service. So we do that on Sunday morning when we gather together for church. But what does it look like for us to do that in our prayer life? What does it look like for us to, to, to stop and start, stop and start, to start our prayer with that prayer of invocation? What if we approached every challenge we faced by hitting pause and saying, Almighty God, Maker of heaven and earth, whatever I'm dealing with, you've got this because you know all things and you've seen all things. What if we started our prayer that way? This is intended to set the tone for our prayer. It reminds us that we are not in control, but, but God is. And then Nehemiah, he, he turns to a confession. Now, every Sunday that we uh, celebrate communion together on the first Sunday of every month, I, I try to remind us that confession isn't about heaping shame. It isn't about making us feel guilty. It's about leveling the playing field, acknowledging that we are all broken, that we are all in need of forgiveness, that we all are dependent on God's grace. So in verse 6, Nehemiah says, I confess the sins of the Israelites, including my own, and including my father's family, and including all of them. It's not just about his own personal confession. This is something I don't, I don't want us to miss. He's confessing on behalf of all of the Israelites, including his own faults and those of, of his dad. But I think this is something that's, that's hard for us to, to grasp in our, our, our culture today, especially in a society that values individual responsibility as much as we do. We, we look at the problems around us and we think, well, some people feel that way. Well, some people act that way, but that's not me. I'm not contributing to that problem. So my hands, my hands are clean. Why should I have to confess for something I haven't done? This is a part of why when we talk about communion on, or why we talk about confession on communion Sundays, we say this is leveling the praying field. The, the world is messed up. And I'm a part of it and you're a part of it. We are all a part of it. And it's, I'm not trying to 
point I did just point fingers. I'm not trying to point fingers. Um, we're acknowledging that the entire world, all of us, all of us fall short. We all need forgiveness. Nehemiah moves from confession to, ma- to making a plea on behalf of his people. He says, God, remember, remember that this is a theme that comes up in Nehemiah over and over again. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear these words. Remember, God, remember. You told Moses we'd be scattered if we were unfaithful, but you'd gather us back if we were faithful again. And it's time. We're we're ready. We, We want to be faithful again. He compares the exile that that he and his people were experiencing to the the exodus that his ancestors experienced and asked God to redeem them, to set them free once again as God had done before. Now, we we often refer to this as a a prayer of petition for other people, right? We we are prayer teams. We we ask for prayer requests, which are important things. How can we be praying for one another in in our community? But Nehemiah follows that prayer of petition, that that plea, with something we, or maybe just I, I should speak for myself, often forget. The strength to do something about what we are praying for. The strength to to do something on our own about what we are, are praying for. He knows what he has to do that he has to use his position to go to the king and ask for permission to do something that he just prayed about. He's a part of what God will be doing with his people. He he doesn't stop with just lifting others up. This is a, a prayer about action. God, give me the strength to do what I need to do. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Where might you need strength to have a hard conversation? Where might you need strength to maybe take a a difficult step? What what does it look like for you, that that personal request, that personal request for strength? All too often, we approach prayer like it is the last step. We've tried everything else. We've tried everything else, but now it's time to pray. But Nehemiah, the beginning of of Nehemiah's story, it encourages us to do the opposite, to to start with it. When we think about the needs of the world, when we think about the needs of our our church community, when we think about the needs in our own personal lives, we we need to stop before we start. We we need to slow down. To to walk through this, this process, right? To acknowledge that God is in control, the invocation. To confess that the world indeed is broken. To to lift up the needs that we see around us. And then to ask God for the strength to do something. to, To take that difficult step. Let's pray. Holy God. Sometimes the needs around us are are just so overwhelming. And it's so easy to get caught up in trying to to fix them, jumping from one thing to the next. Remind us to slow down, to turn to you first. We pray these things in your name. Amen.